like in changing the interpretation of the feeling, we start to take the power back and we get better at performing in that moment. Because the truth is we only have so much focus and attention. When we've convinced ourselves or we're shaming ourselves for being nervous, my attention is on the nerves versus when I give myself permission to feel it, when I understand sort of why I'm feeling it, I could turn my attention to the task. Coach Academy podcast. My name is Lindsay Wilson, and today we have Trevor Reagan on the podcast. Trevor founded Train Ugly and the Learner Lab. And the thing that I love about Trevor is we get to get on and we get to nerd out on mindset and learning and fixed versus growth mentality. And, you know, I started my podcast because I wanted to learn. And Trevor is high on the list of the people that I love to learn from. And this episode, I think is one that you're going to want to bookmark. I think you want to share it with people. I think you're going to want to listen to it a couple times. I was scribbling notes like the entire time. A couple highlights for me is he really talks a lot. You know, we kind of start with individually how you grow, the mindset shifts that you can make when it comes to fixed versus growth mentality, how you think about uh, fear and struggle and stress, like how you feel about feelings and thoughts really, really matter. Why it's important to talk about the environmental and mindset pieces to making change and really what that looks like. He really breaks it down on things that we can do in our day-to-day life. And from a leadership standpoint, from a coaching or parenting or organizational standpoint, he talks a lot about psychological safety and modeling the right behaviors. And I think that piece alone is something that all of us can take into our life. And he even asked the question of like, what behaviors do you want to see shifted? And then how can you model that? And I'll save the rest. I keep talking all my notes, but I want to save some for the actual interview. So I'm not going to say anymore, except this episode is awesome. If you want to learn more about Trevor, um, show notes. We got his audiobook, we got his website, we got all the stuff. He gives a ton away for free. And he he just has such a great um, ability to dissect really complicated concepts and research into things that you and I can implement in our day-to-day life. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you do, rate, review, subscribe, and share with someone else. All right, guys, Trevor Reagan, here we go. All right, Trevor, I am so glad to see your face. It's been so long. How are you? I'm great. It's been a really long time. Right? I don't even know how many years we had the COVID years. And so time is weird right now. But I mean, honestly, the only reason I have any sense of when we first met is I think I just had my first baby. So that was (laughs) like literally everything is like, was I pregnant or did I just have a baby? And how many babies did I have? And I think I had one. (laughs) So let's see, she's almost seven. So it probably would have been about six years ago, if not That's a little wild. bit more than that. I know. That's wild. Well, you look amazing. Uh-huh. I'm so Thanks. excited to, I always love picking your brain. I think one of the things that I appreciate about you is um, 
you're such a lifelong learner, but also you're able to synthesize these really big ideas into, um, you, you dumb them down for people like us <laughs> yeah. in a way, you know, I mean, that's like such a huge value, right? Because we can all read all the books, we can look at all the research mm -hmm. and it can go totally over our head. And so I love how you get your kind of boots mm -hmm. on the ground when it comes to um, helping us implement these things in our daily life. And so I want to just do a little quick check on and see how you're doing, what you're doing, what you're up to. I know a lot of our sure. listeners already know about you, um, mm. but tell us where you're at right now in, let's see, what are we, almost April 2022. So first of all, what you said is like the best compliment. And I appreciate that because you know this, that a lot of the stuff that you and I learn and share, some of it is new, but most of it people have been talking about this for a thousand years. It's like right. some of these core ideas of like how to operate. But where I like to spend my time is how do you explain it in a way so someone can use it and so it sticks. Totally. And so a lot of time and energy is put into that, which is like, look, I'm not going to invent new topics, but maybe how different topics connect and how you explain it. I think a lot about that. And so I appreciate the feedback on that. Um, Life update. I was living in DC for a while and just moved to Des Moines, which is kind of a big shakeup. It's been a nice like uh, reset of like, oh, it's like a slower, slower pace. And we have a, a yard now, which is crazy. Um, so that's been a good move for my girlfriend and I. Professionally, I've I, I, I have it on like my chalk, chalkboard behind me here. I kind of zoomed out and look at looked at like the last 10 years that I've been on, like, what's the journey? And I think there's like four phases and I'm just starting phase four. Phase one was basically just, let's make really good basketball camps. This is the most important thing to do in the world. And I'm <laughs> going like, to change the whole game. Right. And then it's like, wait, a lot of the things I'm learning aren't just for basketball. They could help other sports. So one phase two was just talking to pretty much anyone in, in the sports world phase three was realizing, wow, a lot of these principles aren't just about sports, they're about learning and sort of framing our content towards how do you get better at getting better, regardless mm -hmm. of industry, regardless of sport. That might've been the most important pivot that I mm -hmm. made where that got me in the door with like corporate groups, schools, we did workshops in prisons and that's been unbelievable. And Phase four, now I want to move into more, what does this look like from the group perspective? Like, how do you create a better learning organization? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Where all these other phases were kind of focused on the individual. I want to focus more on the group, the team, the organization now. So oh, I love that. I love that breakdown. I started that way too. And I think, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are either mindset coaches that have gone through our certification or they're mm -hmm. thinking about it, they're coaches and they want to start a side business. And I think, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, the ability to niche down and get really good at working with basketball players and then really good with athletes, like starting small, like, could you have gone straight to work in corporate and prisons? Maybe, but how good would have that have been? And could you have gotten your message across? And would you have gotten the reps, you know, to get good at getting your message across? It, it's wild how many parallels our stories have and like the lessons we've learned are so <laughs> similar. And I, I couldn't yes. agree more. It's like, so one of the, my best skills is in the communication of this material. And uh, 
uh, a lot of people are like, how did, how did you do this? How do you practice it? And I attributed it all to the basketball camps, all of it to mm -hmm. the basketball camps. Cause like we would run like four groups a day. Every group was in there for two hours. And for 30 minutes, I would do like a talk with each group. Mm -hmm. So like every Monday was a talk, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we would do like 10 camps a summer. That's a disgusting amount of reps yeah. with a really, really, really hard audience. It's like, yeah. go teach a seventh grader about fear. <laughs> it's yeah. like, all right. And right. of course, like I look back at the old videos and cringe, but that's what made me good, which is, can I hold their attention and teach them this thing that I think is important, that's kind of complex, and I get to do four, four runs today, and then next Monday I get to do four more, and by the end of the summer, you're good. And yeah. so I, 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 I can't go do these camps anymore because it would, like, kill me. Right. It's so hard. <laughs> but I still, use that. I still use that as a hack. Like, if I'm working on a new segment for the workshop or a new video, I will write out sort of an outline or script. And then I'm going to go try to teach that to a seventh grader every time. And mm -hmm. that's where I test out material. Even if I'm about to go do a presentation at Procter and Gamble, I'm going to test it out on middle schoolers first, mm. because that's kind of the level I want to live at where if I can explain it to them, so they get it, then I can explain it to anyone else. So I still kind of use that for practice. That's awesome. It's like a stand-up comedian, right? They talk about like yeah. Seinfeld mm -hmm. talks about that a lot, right? Like mm -hmm. going in some random bar, not even telling people and just showing up and doing a set and working on it. I, I, that has been a blog post in, in the oven for like four years and I haven't like found, I want to interview a comedian because if you think about it, it's super, super brave that, especially when you're at like a high level, like Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Chappelle, yeah. it's like, okay, they make money off of creating a 60 minute special and they can't do the same special every year, or it's yeah. just like, they're, right. they're not going to survive. And just, I can't even imagine what it's like to be Dave Chappelle and go into a club with your notebook, with all your new stuff. Yeah. It's going to take a year of trial and error to make it good. And you know, a lot of it's going to suck. And to sit on a stool yeah. and suck. When you're Dave Chappelle and they paid to come see Dave yeah. Chappelle, like one of the funniest yeah. people in the world. It's yeah. like, wow. It's so and inspiring to hear stories like that. I just yeah. listened to um, Ricky Gervais on Smart List. That's a good yeah. uh, interview. Because mm -hmm. he talks about that too, and and how like these critics show up and like expect his stuff to be fully baked, and he's like, yeah. no, don't mm -hmm. like this is just this is my this is my shoot around, this is my practice, yeah. and like and it, it's so brave because their practice happens on a stage too, and totally. of course there's backstage time, but then each one that I've heard talks about going to the club, working on new material, knowing that. 80% of it flops, but mm -hmm. then you take the piece that works and then you like iterate on that. And it's just like, damn, that is so cool that they're able to do that. And I really want to like break down that process because I think we could all learn from it. I really yeah. do. Well, I mean, we weren't really going to talk about this, but let's talk about it. The, the, this is what I love about talking to you is we could go anywhere, but you know, so many of the people listening are in the sports world. We, we talk a lot about high performers, we talk about coaches, we talk about people starting their own mindset coaching business, and just that ability to continue to one, continue to learn and be the student. We talk about that all the time in our certification, but also this idea of, we call it running towards fear or running towards failure. And like this idea yeah. that like, 
we want our athlete, you know, if you're a coach or you're a parent or you're a teacher, you want these young people to do this. And so often we forget that we have to do it too. And we have to do mm. it. Well, we don't have to, I guess we don't, unless we don't want to grow. But when you talk about yeah, wanting that, to be a driven it, person, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, in the, in our certification, we, people have to go out and sell and sell themselves and mm -hmm. it's going to suck and they're going to hear no, and they're going to mm -hmm. feel stupid on Instagram. And like, how do you deal with all that? I mean, it, I'm sure that people look at you and think that it's easy. And yeah. I know that it gets easier over time. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also more at stake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so tell me sort of your process and how you've dealt with this. I mean, you're so you nerd out on how the brain works and fear and, and sure. growth. And like, what are your thoughts on someone mm -hmm. learning to put themselves out there in a new way, whether that's in a job interview or presenting or getting, you know, the next level in their life. Talk to me about how you've worked on that or continue to work on okay. it. That couldn't have been a better question because <laughs> this question. is like this but this is like what i think about all the time and a trap that i recognized myself falling into and and you know this when you go work with a group you can kind of see the traps they fall into and how they talk about different things perhaps one of the biggest is we identify a behavior we want to see in the people we're working with you need to make more calls you need to put yourself out there you need to keep learning you need to be resilient, you need to have grit, whatever it may be. Right. And then we come up with 500 ways of just telling you that you need to do that. <laughs> so yes. Like, you need to sleep more, you need to eat more vegetables, you need to make more calls, whatever. We just say it and we say it and we say it and we say it. And more times than not, nothing changes. And the big aha moment I had is, um, and I think it was Allie Kroom from Stanford was saying this, um, and I kind of expanded a bit, but she goes, if you want to change a behavior, attack it at the mindset and environment, not just the behavior. And I don't remember if that's exactly how she put it word for word, but that's how I'm thinking about it now, which is like, yo, uh, okay, the behavior is we want you to sleep more. Rather than just saying you need to sleep more, what if you attack it at the mindset and the environment? Mindset is moving from sleep is just a waste of time. It's just like kind of a boring thing that I do and then I can start my day. Shifting that mindset to sleep is actually essential for neuroplasticity and learning. It's one of the most, it's hands down one of the most effective effective things we could do for learning and performance, period, and health. Like the benefits are clear, the science is there. So it's not just a waste of time. It's like one of the most important things we could do. And then, okay, I'm shifting my mindset around sleep. And then the environment is, how do I design my environment to allow me to get better sleep, which is I'm off my phone an hour before bed. Uh, mm -hmm. I dim the lights and keep it dark. I'm starting to design my environment to help me do the thing. And so through shifting my mindset and creating a better environment, I'm in a position now where I might sleep more. And so to take that simple sort of framework and flip it into your question, and this goes for pretty much anything, which is to get good at something, you have to do it. <laughs> That's not rocket science. I don't care what it is. It's like, it's, gonna, it's like sustained action and trial and error is how you get good at stuff. Now the question is, how come we don't do it? And that's where you get into, I think, some of these underlying mindsets. One, 
you know this, the growth versus fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, fixed mindset, I don't believe I can build that skill. Growth mindset, I believe I could build that skill. Right. That's a huge one. Like if I, one. if I don't believe I can learn this skill, it doesn't matter how clever your explanation of the skill is, yep. I'm not going to do it. And yep. so we're attacking it at the mindset level. Okay, let's build a growth mindset. Maybe the other mindset, um, Ali Kroom calls this our stress mindset, shifting from when I feel nervous, when I feel afraid, when I feel embarrassed, when I feel stressed, that's a sign of weakness. This means I'm doing something wrong, that I'm on the wrong path to stress is there for a reason. It's a human response to anything that takes you out of your comfort zone. And when it comes to learning and performance, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong. More times than not, it means you care and there's uncertainty. And oftentimes when you feel stressed, it's your body mobilizing itself for action. And so it's like, there's a ton of benefits and there's nothing really wrong with it. And do you see like how that mindset shift Mm -hmm. is important? And maybe the third mindset shift, if we're really at our core here, is how we interpret struggle. And all three of these are kind of related, but so many times, when we're learning something and we begin to struggle, we assume that's a sign that we can't learn. So struggle creates a fixed mindset because our interpretation of struggle is, oh, if I could learn this or if I was good, I wouldn't be struggling. Not the case. So shifting from struggle is a sign of weakness, struggle is a sign that I can't, to struggle isn't fun, but it is a piece of every learning journey. And that goes right back to the comedians. If they're going to build a new set, if they're going to work on new new content, they have to be willing to struggle. And I don't care who they are. I guarantee, no matter what they say, it's not fun. It's not fun when they're on the stool with the yellow pad going through the new stuff and people are looking at them like, wait, this isn't funny. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. But they know, they know, I have to do this if I'm going to grow. So maybe three mindset shifts, moving from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, moving from stress is debilitating, stress is negative, stress is a sign that I'm not good or doing something wrong, to stress is enhancing, and stress is normal, and stress is human, and then the same with struggle. And like the interesting thing to look at is the positive and negative like synergy between each one of those things. It's like, if I'm in a fixed mindset and think stress is bad and think struggle is bad, all of that like balls up together and makes me in a stronger fixed mindset and really, really creates more tough emotions. The positive uh, synergy is I give myself permission to be nervous. I remind myself that struggle's okay. I'm building this growth mindset. Each one of those kind of works together and can send us in a better direction. So that would be if, if if I want someone to take more action, be better at learning, I'm attacking it at that level. Mm -hmm. And then the next phase would be how do I create an environment that encourages these type of behaviors? So mm-hmm. mindset plus environment. And now we can like uh, point that in whatever direction and whatever behavior or skill we're trying to build. I'd like, I want to say like 1 billion things in response because I just <laughs> love everything that you just said. I don't know if you can see the whiteboard behind me, but we talk a lot about thoughts lead to feelings, lead to actions, lead to results love and it. how yeah. we so focus, especially like high performing people. Mm-hmm. We focus on the action so much. And when it's not working, yeah. we, we either try more or yeah. we take it as a sign that it's just not going to yeah. happen for us. Right. right? right. And, um, I don't know. There's just like so many things I want to say, but I think one of the things that you really mentioned that 
I think I could do a better job of both for myself and for my students is we talk, I mean, obviously most of what I talk about is the mindset, the mindset and the action, I, you yeah. know, strategy and all that, but Good. the barriers yeah. that are going to come up. And that's really what you're talking about with the environment is anticipating mm -hmm. the barriers and then mm -hmm. trying to get ahead of them mm -hmm. so that you don't have the excuses and you don't have the junk food right in front of you. And, 100%. you know, and so just focusing on as athletes, I think we focus on willpower and motivation and discipline and you know that's a great thing and we're and we're action oriented i love that about us yeah the downside of that is everything that you're just talking about and i think that reframing the other thing that i really like that you're talking about is this isn't about toxic positivity of you know you're just oh, don't no. just tell yourself you're not scared or you know say the opposite mm. of what you're actually feeling it's like mm -hmm. inviting those emotions in and and the yeah. power of reframing them i mean when I talk to mindset coaches, I'm like, if you can teach athletes one thing and it's this, mm. take butterflies as a sign that your body is getting ready to perform yeah, 100%. versus it's a sign that you're unprepared. That yeah. alone can change someone's life. Yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what you're talking about. And I freaking love it. <laughs> and, and that's one of those things that is supported by lots and lots and lots and lots of good research that mm -hmm. it really is like, uh, I interviewed Jeremy Jameson, and he's gone through studies. They, they're in the education world, but there's interventions where they simply teach students who are going into college, like the basics of what you just said, mm -hmm. that there's here are reasons that you feel stressed and uncomfortable, and most of them aren't really negative. And by giving people permission to feel those things and a deeper understanding of those things, those students are doing better two years later in school mm -hmm. than students who are not exposed to this idea because it affects, it's like, and again, this goes back, if you're changing someone's perception towards something, if you're changing their mindset for something, that has a lot of downstream effects because it's like, look, you're going to feel uncomfortable in a lot of different situations, but if the underlying belief towards that discomfort is, Oh yeah, this is normal. This is okay. That helps me deal with it in the moment. And I, I think about this all the time for me. It's like when I was younger, uh, doing these talks and presentations, I would be super nervous, super mm -hmm. nervous. And I was in sort of our default approach to interpreting those nerves, right? This is a sign I'm too young. I must not have practiced enough. Uh, I must not be smart enough to do this. Like mm -hmm. I don't belong and I am not prepared, which is why I'm nervous. And if I was older and smarter and practice more, I wouldn't be nervous. Right. So I was, cause I was going on the default interpretation versus now it's, I still get nervous before the talks, like before every talk, I'm a bit nervous, but yeah. now I know I feel this because I care how it goes. There's uncertainty and I'm being stretched out of my comfort zone. Yeah. I'm being stretched out of my comfort zone. I don't know what's going to happen. And I really, really care. Mm -hmm. And just understanding that those are the triggers of my nerves versus the negative side of you idiot, you didn't practice enough or you don't belong here. It's like in changing the interpretation of the feeling, we start to take the power back and we get better at performing in that moment. Because the truth is we only have so much focus and attention. When we've convinced ourselves or we're shaming ourselves for being nervous, my attention is on the nerves versus 
when I give myself permission to feel it, when I understand sort of why I'm feeling it, I could turn my attention to the task, not fighting this losing battle of trying to make myself stop feeling every right. emotion that springs up. And, and like you said, this isn't toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is you always have to feel good. This is you actually don't control every emotion you have during every second of the day, but you can control the way you interpret them. Yes. I think, you know, it, it goes back to a lot of what Brene Brown talks about, which is like how mm -hmm. we feel about our feelings yeah. matters. Mm -hmm. And it really shifts everything. I mean, I see that with my kids. You know, we talk a lot about being scared and fear and going, you know, my daughter just started kindergarten and trying to talk to her about like, and, lear and learning and struggling, she's learning how to read, right? Like all the stuff that you teach, like seeing her struggle and letting her understand that, you know, I mean, I don't tell her that struggle helps you focus, but essentially it's like, that's a part of it, yes. you know, that, that it's not supposed to be easy every moment yeah. and, and how much reframing our, our feelings about the experience, how much that helps. Mm -hmm. But I want to shift a little bit to that is all just so fascinating and and so I think tangible in in our own lives. And that's really where I always start with all my coaches is how do you work on this stuff yourself? Because we are need to hold the mirror up. We need to go first. We need to set the example. So right. hopefully people are taking what you just said and applying it to their own life. Mm -hmm. But how do we do this? You know, we talked earlier before we got on live about creating this group learning environment. I know a lot of what you're talking about with the psychological safety is this. Mm. So tell me mm. if we're going sort of macro now and yeah. I'm working on this stuff as an individual and I'm working on reframing my thoughts and I'm working on mm -hmm. uh, how I, you know, removing barriers and not a fixed mindset versus growth mindset, all that stuff yeah. for myself. How yeah. do I then go into a classroom or my home or my team mm -hmm. or my organization and apply these things so that everybody can benefit? Love it. So all right, we're going to kind of start at one place, go full circle, connect some dots, and hopefully it'll, it'll make sense. So Amy Emmonson's work around psychological safety and then the work that other groups and organizations have done around psychological safety. Big idea is that is the key to group learning, period, period. Google did a big study for five years looking for like, how do you predict successful teams? they found psychological safety is the, the key element. Not necessarily the makeup of the team, but how the team interacts. Uh, Daniel Coyle, he wrote uh, his book, The Culture Code, after four years of traveling the world, observing great teams. Uh, after four years of travel, visiting Pixar, the San Antonio Spurs, uh, a group of jewelry thieves from Europe. Him and I were working together with a, a major league baseball team. And I asked him like, what was the big discovery you made? And he said, the best groups have psychological safety. And if you want to learn about it, go talk to Amy Edmondson. And so I actually got to interview her and it was fascinating. And um, I guess the key ideas, the key ideas here, when I interview someone, a, a researcher, I, I am curious about what is this thing? Why does this matter? How do we use it? It's all, like, all I'm asking, because that's all that really matters. Right. What is this thing? Psychological safety is the feeling that I can be myself and take risks and try things and ask questions. Why does it matter? When we don't feel safe in a group, the learning centers of our brain shut down and we are less likely to engage in learning behaviors. Learning behaviors, not rocket science. Learning behaviors are getting out of the comfort zone, 
practicing something, learning from mistakes, listening to feedback, all those things Mm -hmm. that we know help us grow. If I don't feel safe, I'm probably not going to do those things, Mm -hmm. which is why it's like groups that score high in safety, the people are more likely to engage in learning behaviors, which makes us a little bit better. We grow more, we learn more, we achieve better outcomes. Okay. How do you build it? Now there's a lot of things, but I'm always looking for like the the 80 20. It's like, what is the little thing we can yeah. do that creates the biggest impact? And for this one, I, I truly believe it's through modeling. Modeling builds safety. And I'm probably going to say that 17 more times in the next five minutes. Modeling builds safety. And once you understand that simple dynamic, you see it playing out all around us. So I spent quite a bit of time early on observing the U.S. women's volleyball team. Karch Karai, their mm-hmm. head coach, he would, he would hold a lot of like one-on-one meetings with his players. And at the end of every meeting, he looks the player in the eye and he would ask the same question every time. How can I be better for you? And at first I was like, that's a pretty brave question to ask. And it would lead to some good conversations. But I didn't connect the dots until I learned about safety which is what he's really doing in that moment is modeling. Because if you play for him and every time he meets with you, he's asking for feedback, asking for feedback, asking for feedback. It's now safer for you to ask him for feedback because modeling builds safety. So you can reverse engineer, which is what are the actions I want to see more of? Mm. How do I begin to put these actions on display? So again, once you... Like once that clicks in your head, this happens everywhere. This just happened an hour and a half ago. I did a talk with a volleyball team. Really good, uh, really good, like short presentation at the end. Does anyone have a question? Silence. One player raises her hand and asks a question. What happens next? Seven players ask a question. So one courageous act, like the action of one creates a better, safer environment for others to do the same because modeling builds safety, which is why last week I did a a professional development with a bunch of teachers. And the week before that, I was working with the San Diego Padres, some of their coaching staff. And in each one of those, 85% of the workshop was about our growth mindset and how we deal with stress Mm -hmm. and how we think about struggle and how we can learn. because regardless of who we are, we want to be good at those things so we can take more action. And in taking action and focusing on our learning and development, we're, the byproduct of that is we begin to model it for the people. Uh, the last example, there's a school, uh, quite a few schools did this. Um, they called this project the anti-talent show. So it's this little <laughs> challenge we came up with. And so this middle school in Kansas City, they had all the students and the teachers pick something they couldn't do, then they get to practice it for two weeks and they hold the anti-talent show. So some people learn to like ride a skateboard, some people learn to juggle or paint or recite poetry. And in two weeks, no one masters their skill, but everyone who participates can do it. And I love, I love that project for like so many reasons. It's a, it's a nice way of building a growth mindset. There's a lot of benefits. I get to visit the school after they do the project and I'm sitting in a room with all these seventh graders. And I was just like, well, what was your favorite part of this project? Most of the kids just brag about the skills they learned. One kid is stealing people's shoes to show me he could juggle. I go around the room, a girl raises her hand and she goes, 
the best part of the anti-talent show is that I got to see my teacher struggle and that helped me understand it's okay for me to struggle too. Dang. In this scenario, modeling wasn't the teacher showing the student how to ride a skateboard. The teacher was learning something completely different. But what the teacher was modeling is these underlying learning behaviors, the willingness to struggle, to try something new, to make mistakes, to learn from those mistakes. And that created an environment where the students could do the same. And so, look, you and I could talk about for four hours all the things we could do to build a better learning environment. But like I said, like the low-hanging fruit is just understanding the power of our actions and how those affect others. Um, that has a bigger impact on the environment than we, than, than we know. And it's like, look, modeling isn't like if I'm working with a baseball team, it's not like here's how to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball because I can't do that. But what I can model is the vulnerability, the curiosity, the willingness to grow. And those are creating an environment where people are more likely to do those things. Well, I mean, it all makes sense when you understand how the brain works, right? Like, I will say when I, because, you know, I'm really into hypnosis and visualization and metaphors and, mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things. But really what, what that does is it communicates with the subconscious. And that's exactly what you're talking about is like, I always give the example of like, you can tell an athlete or a kid or someone to do something. And they may like mm -hmm. nod their head and, and it's probably not going to sink in or you can go the next level up and you can tell them a story. And yeah. that's really what you're doing is you're, you're, is that example is telling them a story that their brain can't argue with. They're yeah. just observing and they're just bringing it in and mm -hmm. they're not saying whether they can do it or not. They're just, their brain's just taking it in. And so I think that's yeah. genius. I think it's awesome. And I think that, if people are interested, Amy Edmondson's book, The Fearless Organization, is really good. Um, she does a great job of talking about this in, in an accessible way to where, like, I can understand it, which is great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that modeling piece is super underrated. And tell me about, so speaking of books, you have an audio book that I, you said is, is free and really good. <laughs> so tell yeah. me a little bit about that for our listeners. So this was like a late 2021 project i had a bit of free time i had always thought about writing a book um it had been on the back burner for like four years and i was like what would be like maybe a different way of doing this and i came up with the idea of like let's record an audiobook but let's put it on podcasting platforms the whole thing and the upside of doing it that way was one instead of like citing a study of like Jeremy Jameson at all 2004 did this study it's like here's Jeremy he's gonna tell you about the study and so like <laughs> it's like instead of quoting someone they're on they're on the episode and that was cool uh getting to like we know that stories are so important well when it's audio I can build in sound effects and, and like really create an environment and I basically just went through it's like from the individual perspective, here are like the five big ideas that I hope um, you can understand that could help you get better at learning. Here's how to get better at getting better from the individual perspective, and here's the whole thing. Uh, it turned out really, really well. I'm like very proud of that um, piece of content. I think it was the hardest thing I've ever built, um, but it allowed me to get really kind of creative and out of the box. And then I just hit the lottery with the people that we were able to get on. Um, and then the other fun thing that I did is like in telling the story of like how I learned about growth mindset, it's like I interviewed Carol Dweck like nine years ago 
and I was so nervous and like I had no idea even who I was talking to but I have like the audio of that and oh, so cool. like you can like weave in and create like a good narrative and story it just turned out really cool so if if people wanted to listen to that if you just search learner lab anywhere you get your podcast you'll you'll see the chapters there um, cool we'll yeah. put in the show notes too awesome. um okay I also want to talk you have a little bit more time right we've been oh yeah we've been Let's getting go. into it yeah, yeah. so you know on this show we always speaking of psychological safety we want to yeah. talk about you and your mindset and your growth and mm -hmm. um the things that you've figured out and the things that you haven't figured out and the things that you're trying to mm -hmm. figure out and mm -hmm. you know you talked a little bit about your health challenges but you know Trevor Reagan now is not the Trevor Reagan that I met seven years ago where are you now? What are the challenges mm. that you've overcome? Where is your mindset now? Where are you going? It's kind of a, mm. a big question, but I want to hear all of it. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, I'm really trying to slow things down a bit where mm. I think though, even just watching old videos of my talks, it's like, dude, you're going 900 miles an hour, you're like kind of yelling. And you're just like, drink too many coffees. And you're being funny. But it's like, is any of this even sticking yeah. versus comparing like the presentations now, which is like slow and like focused on storytelling and like, okay, I have two hours. I'm going to try to give you like two takeaways, not right. 10. Yes. And so like, I'm slowing it down. And, and even on a personal level, it's like, once you like convince yourself that you can get better at pretty much any skill, it's easy to go like off the rails is like, I got to <laughs> learn all the time and all, all these things I need to learn. And now it's like slowing it down to like, all right, this month, what is the like skill that I'm going to focus on and try to get better at? Um, the other thing that's helped me a ton, other than just picking like one at a time, is I'm changing my goals, changing the goalposts from mastery to getting kind of good. And that has been like one of the most important things I've done where, look, we know it takes a long time to like get really, really, really good at something. You can argue what that number is or how many hours it is. There's some controversy there, but who cares? But the truth is you don't have to master a skill for it to have a really big impact on your life. Yes. You just have to get kind of good and getting kind of good can happen in small chunks of time, depending on what the skill is. You could get kind of good in a weekend, a week, a month, depending on what the skill is in your skill set. So it doesn't require thousands of hours of deliberate practice. You can scrap around and learn enough to be dangerous. And the magic of that approach is one, you're more likely to do it. Two, by focusing on getting kind of good, you reach this point. Let's just, here's exactly how it played out for me. Storytelling is a skill that I've been really focused on because I see like how important that is for people like you and me. It's like you can hit people over the head with the research and the data, mm -hmm. and that's convincing in the moment, but stories are what stick. Stories are what they remember in a month. Yep. And so you need that combo of both. And so I was like, all right, I want to be better at storytelling. So I read Story Worthy by Matthew Dix, which is just so good. I attended one of his workshops, talked to him a couple of times, and got the basics of like, all right, here's what I think the, the, the tools are that are most relevant for me. Now, instead of focusing on mastery, let's focus on getting kind of good. My approach to that was at the end of every day, my girlfriend and I, just like everyone, 
we normally like rehash the day. I ate lunch here and breakfast here and talked to this group. And you just go through the checkpoints of the, of your day. Mm -hmm. And then the rule we made was, well, instead of doing that, let's just tell one good story of the day. Mm -hmm. And so that's like a low stakes rep of like using these tools of like, okay, how do I tell a good story about one moment in the day? Mm -hmm. And after a couple of weeks of that, of course, I'm a little bit better at telling stories because I'm practicing. I'm doing the thing, just like we said earlier. Yeah. But now the, the magic part is once you cross this threshold of I'm kind of good, you can start to use the tool. So now in every workshop, my rule is when I'm explaining a study, I have to make a story around it. Yeah. When I'm going through these examples, I have to like weave in stories, mm -hmm. which means every session I give and every workshop I give, which is a ton, I'm getting a little bit better at storytelling. And that's the pathway to getting really good at storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so I am on like the path to getting really, really good. I have a long way to go, but I am on that path because I started with getting kind of good. And that's been like huge for me. And when I go through that, with the groups that we work with, it seems to click with them as well, because sometimes, and our audience is a bit different. I think you work with like maybe more high performers and I'm kind of just working with just like maybe sometimes a group of seventh graders. Uh, sometimes it's like where I'm at versus mastery is su such a huge gap that it's just so daunting that I'm never going to start versus switching the goalpost to, hey, don't worry about mastery. Let's get kind of good at this thing. And that's like a, a easier way to get the ball rolling. I think that's such a mental shift though for everybody. I mean, in our, with our mindset coaches, a lot of times we talk about B plus work, you know, it's yeah. like you can, and it's such a fine balance because as a driven person, you want to practice, you want to get your presentation, right. You want to get yeah. your audio book, right. But I'm sure you could have gone through like 10 more iterations mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of that thing. And maybe it would have gotten a little bit better, but yeah. it also would have kept you from doing something else, you know? Yeah. And so it's like that balance always of, one, if it stops you from doing anything at all, or if it just keeps mm -hmm. you in that like con continual editing, improving stage, yep. when it's not going to improve that much. And I, yep. I find like that's been something, you know, for a while, speaking of sporting uh, storytelling, for a while, I was writing a newsletter almost every day, whereas wow. other times I, or at least three times a week, but I was writing every day. And, mm -hmm. but other times in my business, I pull back and I have like, one grand newsletter and it's been edited 15 times by everybody on my team and mm -hmm. you know and it is it better than the others yeah it's different mm -hmm. is what it is you know yeah, it's a different yeah. um mm -hmm. experience and i think both have their place you know long blog yep. posts and all that sort of stuff but mm -hmm. um i like that approach yeah i think it's good and of course there's nothing wrong if if something really ma matters investing more time and energy and making it like trying to really optimize it, but you're right. It's like more times than not done is better than perfect. And like, I need to like use that advice all the time. Cause I get, you're exactly right with the audiobook. It's like, it took me three months and it probably should have taken me three weeks, but you're always sitting there like, Oh, now I'm in the middle of it now because I wrote, I did a book writing challenge and I wrote my book 60,000 words in 45 days. Nice. But, <laughs> and there is a but, yeah. it has now taken me months and months mm -hmm. and months of editing. Yep. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm in that, I did really good getting it out mm -hmm. onto the paper. Yeah. But the idea yeah. that it needs to keep iterating is a challenge. And it's a balance, right? Mm -hmm. Because of course I want it to be good. 
but yep. there is that place and nobody can really tell you where that line is. That's the hard part. No I one think. can. And it's like, so like I first, I wrote the first version of my book four years ago, maybe yeah. five and nothing happened because I justified it, which was basically every six months. I'm like, wow, the book that I'd write now is better totally than the different. one I'd write six months ago. Yeah. Wow. The book I'd write now is better than the one <laughs> six months ago. But then if you're in our industry, hopefully that's always the case. And so there comes a point exactly. where you have to like write the book because if you're focused on learning and you're, you're curious and, and like open to this, it's like, yeah, that's a good sign that six months ago uh, you were thought different things than you think now. And so at some point you kind of just have to put it down, throw it out there and the, the amazing thing I've seen, and this has happened in some of my workshops. So like do a lot of work with schools and I'm starting to kind of go back for the second time, sometimes the third time to mm -hmm. a school. And sometimes I feel bad. It's like, I'm kind of talking about the same concepts, but how we talk about them, that's where we're really iterating and improving. Mm -hmm. And there's points in the workshop where I just straight up say, two years ago, I thought this but now we know this, or now we mm -hmm. think this. Yeah. And just calling that out in the workshop is like been powerful for me where like the feedback I'm getting is people like that. They're like, that's good. And I was at the workshop two years ago and I thought it was good. But the fact that you called out the, the, the piece that you were wrong on and, and, and showed how to fix it, like people trust you more. It's like, yeah, we want someone like that who's continually like looking back and trying to grow. Um, You're so modeling. Yeah, you're modeling in a big in, in a big way. Yeah. Modeling builds safety, Trevor. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what else from a mindset standpoint for you personally? Tell me where you're at. I know you moved. Go Iowa State, by the way. You're in my old hometown. Well, right outside. Um, Kinda, yeah. What's going on with you uh, with your mindset and your growth besides the the learning? Uh, a big a big challenge I went through, um, and this is like one of the the first reasons that I moved from Denver, uh, in 2019, I found out I had bladder cancer, which was like a big time, like curveball. Even when the doctor like found out he was shocked because it's like this particular type of cancer. It's like basically when you're old, overweight, male and smoke. And I'm only one of those four. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like the fact that it happened was like really, really strange. Um, and it was really scary. But long story short, I was lucky. We caught it early. They like removed the small tumor. I go every like eight months to get it checked out. And so far we're good. And I'm just starting to kind of open up and share the experience because it took me a while to like work through of like, I don't want it to be like my mindset cured my cancer because it absolutely didn't. It had <laughs> nothing to do with that. That was pure luck. It could have gone either way and it had yeah. nothing to do with my mindset yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, but where I'm at now is starting to like reflect on the journey and the therapy and just like all the things that I thought and messed up and the things that I think went well. And it's just like coming out of that. It's like, what are the, some big takeaways for me? And I wrote like a little article about it. We can, I'll send you the link, but the, the core ideas. One, you, you mentioned it earlier, toxic positivity is a thing. <laughs> so yeah. like I, when I first found out about the cancer, watched a couple documentaries about people like 
talking about their stories and how important like it is to be positive and all this stuff. And I knew better, but I somehow fell into the trap of thinking that if I feel afraid or stressed or anxious, I'm going to make the cancer come back. And if I can just not feel those things and be positive and be happy all the time, I have a better chance of the cancer not coming back. And so I actually became afraid of the tough emotions. And this is what you said with Brene Brown, my feelings about my feelings. And so I'd be up late at night feeling scared and feeling afraid. And then I was essentially afraid of that, of like, oh shit, these tough emotions are gonna make, like hurt my health and maybe it'll make the cancer come back. And then luckily I have a, like a really good therapist and she was able to call me out on that. It's like, dude, you have cancer and it's gonna be really scary. And like, it's okay to feel these things. You don't wanna get stuck in that rut. But right. the, way, the way to avoid getting stuck in that rut is through acceptance and understanding, not by suppressing and denying. Yeah. This is Brene Brown 101. Yeah. Um, so that was like a big aha moment. And then the, the other was when you're focused on learning, sometimes if you're working with like an athlete or a student, simply at the end of a test or a game, asking the question, like, what can I learn from this? Or why did that happen? Like, we lost a game. Why did that happen? Uh, I wasn't prepared. Why did that happen? Failed the math test. Why did that happen? That's an okay question to ask. And you can, it can guide you to some things you could fix. Why did it happen? I didn't study for my test or I studied the wrong thing. Okay, that gives me an actionable thing to fix. Well, what I realized is there's other times where asking that question is just spinning your tires. And this was one of them. So the truth is with the cancer I had, we'll never know why it happened. There's literally no way to know. Like they did like the genetics testing. That was the only thing it could have been and it wasn't that. And so I was trying to be in this learner mode of why did this happen? Why did this happen? And again, this is credit to my therapist. So she's like, you will never know the answer to that question. And no one's going to know the answer to that question. It could be a thousand different things. Mm -hmm. And so shifting to what can I learn from this was way better. It's the same intent, but it's just a better framing of the question. Mm -hmm. What can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? And then that's what helped me focus on like understanding the tough emotions and toxic positivity. Super helpful. And like I said, none of that really had an impact on the diagnosis and the cancer staying or leaving or coming back. But what it does help you do is like deal with the situation, your response, because for, and you, you know, this just as well as I do, it's a lot of this, these things are out of our hands, mm -hmm. but what we can control is our response to the situation. And then that was like a big moment for me to like recognize that and then really get good at those things that I could control. Um, so yeah, those are like two of the big lessons that I learned. That's amazing. I mean, I'm sure you, as you you said, you haven't been talking about it a lot, but I'm sure that's going to be one of your stories of many yep. that you're mm -hmm. able to share and model. And, um, yep. and I love just the, the fact of like, you're coming out of the awareness of all that with things that you did well and things that you could have improved and, mm -hmm. and things that, you know, your initial reaction probably wasn't what it needed to be. And like that, yeah, I think is such a all. human yeah. experience, you know, that it's mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it's just like 
I've had the opportunity to like, like I got to do a talk um, for like Duke Hospital with some parents whose kids have like this really rare, like devastating disease. And like getting to, to, to share with them, it's like, look, this is nothing in comparison to what you're dealing with. But giving them permission to feel tough emotions was like huge, mm. huge. And then just like really wrapping our heads around the fact of like, we actually don't have much control over why this happened. And we really don't have much control of whether it comes back or not, other than the basics. It's like sleep. Yeah and eat well and right, exercise right. it's like once you're knocking that out like there's not much else you can do for most things now for yeah. some things of course there is yeah but for like big big things it's like no but i can focus on the the controllables which is the response and how i think and talk about this with myself my partner with others and yeah. that's where we're going to get um some like good learning and good growth i guess Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yep. Share that um, story, whether it's similar or dissimilar to someone else's struggle is those, those things matter. And I appreciate you sharing. Okay. Yeah. I no love problem. every single no minute problem. of this talk. I feel like we could go on and on. Um, one thing I always like to ask at the end is, and it's sometimes it's even what was something we've already talked about, but if I'm a person listening to this, wanting to improve my life, wanting to get better, wanting to grow, what is one thing that Trevor Reagan will say, do this, the 80-20 of, of personal growth? What should I do? If it's yeah. something every day or every week, what should I do? Every three weeks or four weeks or two weeks, you can choose the, the metric. Identify a relevant skill that if you built it would help you be better at what you do and find a way to be a bit more intentional and get some reps on that skill. And if you do that every few weeks, not only are you gonna get kind of good at a lot of skills, but the fascinating piece of the learning research, uh, Dr. Michael Merzenich taught me this, that we know the brain can change. It's like skills are pathways that you fire, the brain reinforces the pathway, that's how you build a skill. But he says, the machinery in our brain that controls learning, learning is also plastic, which means every time you choose to stretch a bit out of the comfort zone and practice a skill, not only are you getting better at that skill, you're becoming a better learner in the process. So that mm -hmm. can really snowball, which is kind of two birds with one stone of like, yeah, I'm stacking these skills and getting kind of good at them. And I'm be becoming a better learner, which helps me build more skills. And so it's like, to me, that's, that's the action item here. And then hopefully the conversation we had leading up to this, those are different tools to help you sustain that action. And that's mm -hmm. how kind of those two dots connect. I love that. Trevor, it has been an absolute pleasure. I hope that you'll come back. I feel like there's like 20 more podcasts I know. we can do. <laughs> seriously, seriously. It's always well, a blast. Always yes, a blast. And I just, like I said, I appreciate you share so, so much. And I know people are going to get, I have like a billion notes right here, but I know uh, I got a lot out of it, which is always the best podcast, right? I remember when I started yeah. my podcast, my husband's like, just talk about and interview people that you want to learn from. And 100%. you're high on that list. So 100%. I appreciate your time so, so very much. And I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope you come back. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs>